We started a series last week called Better Together. And I invite you guys to follow along. Uh, if you're a guest with us, you'll, you got that service guide. You had your connection card in there. And uh, you'll also notice that there is a note sheet. And we invite you to uh, use that to, uh, to follow along with the message this morning. We also have um, the notes are posted on the, the Bible app, the YouVersion Bible app on your, uh, on your phone or tablet. And so you can follow along uh, with us there as well. So we started the series last week called Better Together. As we're going into this new season, next week we uh, announce our fall um, community groups. And um, we've got a lot of them. Did we come up with a number? How many we've got this time? A lot. A lot. And uh, so groups than we've ever had before. Um, starting for this semester, it'll be for three months. And, and uh, so we'll be announcing all that next week. And uh, next week we're going to focus on, uh, on community. But I'm going to continue in on this, in talking about being better together. And that is our goal. You know, we, we've talked about the name of this church family. I mean, uh, this, this church family, we're just, we're a community group. We're a small group in the body of Christ. And we come together under the banner of Jesus. And we're a part of the universal church across the world, but our expression of the body of Christ here, we call church of the harvest. Why? Why do we call it church of the harvest? It's because the harvest is what we're after, right? That's what God's after. It's the harvest. And we want to be a church family that loves people and points to Jesus continually. And we believe that the harvest is ripe. It's time. And God's heart beats for people. Anybody believe that? So that's what we want to be. We want to be a church of the harvest, and that's what we're building up to. And so in this, you know, we're talking about being better together. How many of you have found in your own life you're better together? If you're sitting next to your spouse, you better, yo, yes, yes, we are better together. Relationships are vitally important in our lives. And, you know, the Bible is very clear on this. We talked about last week. Um, we also talked about last week how the funny thing is our relationships are very closely intertwined with our fears and our insecurities. Isn't that interesting? God is a God of relationship. He created us to be a people of relationship. However, the enemy comes in and he ties our fears and insecurities into that. Makes sense, doesn't it? With that said, I gave you a quote um, last week from Pastor Greg, Craig Rochelle. He said, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. How many of you have seen that in your life? How many of you have seen that in your kids and the friends around them? We've all seen it before. Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. And Pastor Andy Stanley, some of y'all know him from North Point Church in Atlanta, he said, your friends will always determine the quality and the direction of your life. Interesting. So, I had you last week, I had everybody write down on their note sheet their five closest friends. How many of you can admit you had a little bit of trouble writing down your five closest friends that weren't family members? Yeah, a bunch of you. Because we were looking, and it actually we saw a statistic that said the average American only has two close friends today. And 25% of Americans have zero close friends. But the thing is, as we talked about last week, you are the average you are the average of your five closest friends. The five closest people around you, you're the average of them. Financially, and attitude, and spiritual focus, in every area of your life, you're like the people around you. And really, this makes sense, because this is the way God made us. And as I mentioned last week, he told us not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. God knows what he's talking about. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, said in Proverbs 13, 20, he said, whoever walks with the wise becomes what? But a companion of fools will suffer harm. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Proverbs 22, 24, 25 says, don't befriend angry people or associate with hot-tempered people or you will learn to be like them and endanger your soul. So, you know, as I mentioned last week, our society has, loves to redefine things. We're talking about how social media has redefined what it means to have a friend, right? How many of you can admit today that there are people on your social media, whatever it may be, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, there's people on there that you, you maybe know their name, but you don't really even know who they are? Who is this person again? They sent me this message. Who, who, who? But they're your friend, right? 
We call them our friend. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm friends with you. Yeah, you, you meet them. Fine. How many of you ever met somebody one day that you were friends with on social media? And they come up and say, hey, and you realize, oh, yeah, we're, oh, yeah, we're friends. Social media has redefined friendship. So God is a God of relationship. He designed us to want intimacy. But social media has taught us the different type of friendship that really is just an illusion of intimacy. It's a counterfeit of what God intended. And so I gave you two things last week I want to hit real quick, you know, because this is a foreign concept now. And so how do we develop and foster friendships? I gave you two things. Number one was to be present. Doesn't mean that we're only communicating with somebody through our phone. It's talking about face-to-face. Many people would rather communicate with their phone, but there's power in presence. It's great to pray for somebody, but it's even better to pray with. Be emotionally present. We talked about how sometimes you can be present, but you're not really present. You can be there, but not be there, right? Second thing I mentioned was be open. Man, these are two things we don't find much in our society today, being present being open. We've got to learn to open up, to be transparent, and to be real. James 5, 16, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another so that you may be healed. So as we confess our sins to devoted believers... As we pray for one another, it says that we may be healed through that. So when we're upset and angry or hurt or whatever it may be, we need to find some good Christian friends around us. And we need to allow them to speak into our lives and to pray over us. Last thing I mentioned last week, we may impress people with our strengths, but we connect with people through our weaknesses. We can be impressed by somebody's strength, by something they do well or whatever it may be that they love to, you know, put before us and boast in, but we really connect with somebody when they express their weakness. Isn't that true? It happens when we're real. We get transparent. We drop the social media facade and say, you know what, here's what I'm going through. But how many of you can admit that sometimes this is easier said than done because we have probably all said it. People, how many of you immediately respond when people say, how you doing? You say, oh, I'm busy. We hear it all the time, don't we? Busy. Doesn't matter how busy we are, we still need relationship, don't we? We turn to this counterfeit intimacy of social media, but in that, we find that we're very much still lacking, right? There's still a void in us. We need something more. And I think that really, I think our society doesn't even generally know what that is anymore. They know that there's this void, this emptiness within them. And obviously, if they don't have God in their life, God is the void. But even so, there are a lot of Christians, a lot of us as believers, that we have this void in our life because we don't have close relationships and other believers to walk with in this life. Sociologists say that there's three types of poverty in the world. First one is material poverty. Do I need to explain that? We all know what material poverty is, right? Secondly, spiritual poverty. And this is basically the lack of belief that there is something more to my life than just my everyday mundane existence, okay? Basically, the lack of belief that there's, there's something more. There's, you know, some kind of purpose, some kind of plan. And then lastly is relational poverty, And that's what I want to focus on, because how many of you know that you can be surrounded, you can be in a crowd surrounded by thousands of people and be utterly alone? Isn't it true? How many of you have ever visited a third world country before? Very interesting visiting a third world country. You know, I I believe that I believe that every person should at some point. Um, for any number of reasons. But the idea, probably, when you went to visit a third world country, more than likely you were going there to serve in some form or fashion, right? You're going there to be a blessing. And what you find many times when you, when you do that, you go to help change lives, but many times what you find is they impact your life more than you do theirs in the long run. And I think that says a lot about our society today. You know, many times you're shocked at what these people don't have. You just can't believe it. All the luxuries that we take for granted. Can you imagine just never having had electricity in your life? It's shocking. 
Not having running water. We've been places where we've seen where they've, you know, organizations have gone in and had to put in wells, and people would walk miles and miles and miles every day just to get clean drinking water. What about toilets? <laughs> Even better. How about toilet paper? Praise God for that, right? <laughs> yes. We go into these areas and we're shocked at what they don't have. And it's funny, after you spend a few days with them, your perspective begins to change and you begin to forget about all these things that you've taken for granted for so long. And as a matter of fact, many times what ends up happening is you begin finding yourself almost envious of what they have that you don't. Because, you know, they don't have these material possessions and distractions. Many times, they're much more thankful for what they have in their life than we as Americans have ever been. You know, I remember, um, what was that village we were in that time? And the, the kids were kicking around. They got plastic bags, and they got all these plastic bags, just trash they'd gathered, and they put rubber bands around them, and that was their ball. And all the kids from this village were kicking around these plastic bags with rubber bands around them. So they don't have these material possessions. They don't have all the distractions that we have. And so we find that they're very thankful. Um, those that are believers, many times they're very God-focused because they don't have distraction. Right? Make sense? They very much depend on one another and they support one another. Many times, yes, it's for survival importance to them. Unlike we find in our society today. Community means everything. And what happens is you come home thinking, wow, I have all this stuff, but you recognize what you're lacking. Would you guys agree with that, those of you who've been to third world countries? It's pretty crazy, isn't it? So what's the issue? We come back re recognizing that something is missing, and maybe it's not something. Maybe it's that relational poverty. Maybe it's someone that's missing from our lives. We're struggling with this relational poverty. And your note sheet, if you uh, follow along on there, you can fill in the blanks here. Statement that, that Pastor Craig Rochelle made, he said, you may be one friend away from changing the course of your life. You may be one friend away from changing the course of your life. And I think, you know, this is true of us today. This is true of the men and women that we see in the Bible. And I, I want you guys to turn with me for just a minute to uh, Acts chapter 9. And um, in Acts chapter 9, we're going to look for a few minutes at the life of, um, of the Apostle Paul. And actually in Acts chapter 9, I think he was still known as Saul. And, um, and there's something interesting that we find here where the direction of his life is changed. Now, we know that Saul has this encounter with Jesus, right? He's on the way, he's on the road to Damascus. And we know that he's, he's knocked right off his donkey, right? He's knocked on the ground. And he has this uh, little discussion with Jesus. So the direction of his life obviously has changed there in a moment. But in Acts chapter 9, if you go to verse 26, we find something interesting here. It says, when he, being Saul, came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. Now those of you who know the story of the, uh, of the Apostle Paul understand what's going on here, right? He had been out out there taking out the lives of Christians, right? That became his sole purpose. So he's going systematically from town to town. He's trying to take out all of these followers of Jesus. So here Saul has this encounter with Christ, and he goes to Jerusalem, and he's all gung-ho, ready to join the church. He wants to preach. He's standing probably right in front of the disciples of Jesus. And they said, I don't think so. I mean, recognize here, they probably all knew people who had been murdered under Paul's authority. Maybe family members. And they were like, no. We don't want you joining our church. I don't care if you went through 101. <laughs> right? You know, they could have figured too that maybe this was a trap. They didn't want them. But look at verse 27. 
In verse 27, it says, but Barnabas, everybody say, but Barnabas. Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. So Barnabas gets him and brings him back in front of the apostles. And he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. You see what's been rejected? Somebody comes along side of Saul who's been rejected by the church, decides to be a friend. And I can only imagine Barnabas, I mean, he had to be putting his credibility on the line here in this moment, right? So he testifies on behalf of Saul, this guy that was known as a Christian killer, and he tells Saul's story. And we know that Barnabas convinces him because in verse 28 it says, So Saul stayed with them and moved freely, moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. One person changed the direction of Paul's life. Y'all see that? See how God used Barnabas in that moment. Paul, Saul, whatever we want to call him in this moment, he could have had a really tough road getting his ministry going if all the church rejected him, right? But God sent a friend named Barnabas who changed the direction of his life. You could literally be one friend away from changing the course of your life. And, you know, as I said, you know, we all live these busy lives. And, you know, when it comes to public, I mean, just think about the awkwardness sometimes you've experienced on an elevator, right? The the person, you know, nobody wants to look up and make eye contact and, and whatever. You know, it's like everybody's all quiet around each other, right? It's interesting that we come to church and we sit in church and we sit in the same spot right around the same people having the same discussions week after week after week, right? How many friendships have we missed out on? How many times have we missed a relationship with somebody that could have helped change the course of our life because we kept ourselves? And wouldn't open up. How many lives have we failed to impact because we kept ourselves? We could literally be one friend away from changing the course of our life. And here's the thing in this. How of you know that when we're looking for relationships and friends, we don't need to look for people that are just like us. We need to look for people. And, and, and here's the thing. That's who we tend to gravitate toward, right? People around maybe around our age, similar experiences or whatever else, and it's just kind of a natural match, and we, you know, we come together and these friendships form or whatever else. But sometimes that's not very beneficial. You know, my dad has talked about, you know, his, he's been feeling this passion more and more for bringing the generations together. You know, I was thinking, young people, you ought to have a friend that's twice done an experience in your life. You need to consider the fact that they've got wisdom and experience that you just don't have. I understand. I mean, sometimes we think we know it all. We got it all figured out. But how quickly, every year, every year that we're a year older, we recognize that we really don't, right? They've been through things, been to places, experienced things that you haven't. You know, how many of you... How many of you in here can think of somebody in your life that was a good bit older than you at some point in your life that spoke into you and uh, really gave you wisdom and direction, whatever else it may be? And let me tell you, those of you a little further along up there in years, how many of you know we need the older generation and we need the younger generation too? Isn't it true? We do. How many of you, how many of you who are um, maybe over the age of 50 have had to call a younger person for help with your phone or your computer before? Here's the thing. God also put into your life, though, the need to invest in those coming behind you. That could be a void in your life. You need the younger generations. We've got to come together. You could literally be one friend away from changing the course of your life. So if you follow along on your note sheet, I'm going to give you three types of friends today that every person needs. Three types of friends every person needs in their life. And you'll probably find as, you, as we look at this, you'll probably find that you're probably missing at least one of these. You're probably missing at least one. 
But I want to go through, and I want us to look at this for just a few minutes. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at the life of King David for a minute. And we're going to look at three people who came into David's life who made an impact and changed the course of his, of his life, of his destiny. So number one, first type of friend that we need. Number one is a friend that makes you a better person. A friend that makes you a better person. Now, how many of you have had a friend in your life that truly did not make you a better person? We all need this kind of friend. The friend that sees things in us that we don't necessarily see. The friend that is the godly example. The friend who draws things out of us. I want to talk for a minute about the prophet Samuel. We know that Early on, we know that God had rejected Saul, not the same Saul we were just talking about, right? He had rejected King Saul as the king of Israel, right? Y'all remember that? And he tells Samuel to go anoint the next king. So he goes to the house of Jesse, and he asks Jesse to bring all his boys together, right? And so he lines them up. And we know from the story, we know that Samuel goes, he probably, he probably goes to the, the tallest and the strongest looking first and goes to anoint him as king. And God says, not that one. Nope. So he goes to the next one. Must be this one. Nope, not that one. He goes to the next one. Nope, not that one. And then we see that, you know, Samuel here, he has to be questioning what in the world is up. Because we know that he goes to the end of the line. And, you know, God speaks to him and tells him. You see it in Scripture there. He says, he, he, he says Samuel, you're looking at the outside. You're seeing, what, you're seeing what everybody else around sees. He says, but I see something deeper. I see what's on the inside. I look at the heart. And so after going through, we know, after going through each of Jesse's sons, we know Samuel says, well, is this it? And, uh, and Jesse says, well, oh, yeah, I, I, I forgot about the young one out in the field. He's out there tending the sheep, though. And Samuel says, go get him, right? And so look in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 12 and 13. It says, so Jesse sent for him, for David. It says, he was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord says, this is the one. Anoint him. Isn't it interesting that they mention his outward appearance. So, you know, as he came up, that's probably what Samuel saw first, that he was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. God saw something deeper, and God shows Samuel that he was God's anointed. So as David stood there among his brothers, Saul took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil, and the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day forward. We don't see any indication that anybody before that day saw anything more in David, that anybody saw in David what God did and what God revealed in Samuel. And, you know, thinking about our lives, for each of us, can you all admit that many times our friendships happen by accident, the friendships in our lives? Friends and foster friendships because we... We're just so busy and so pulled every which direction. So we're not trying to foster friendships. Like any friendships we have, they just kind of naturally kind of fall into place because, you know, maybe it's the person that you work next to, you know, in the cubicle next to you every day. Or it's the parent from your kid's soccer team that, you know, that you're sitting next to. Or it's a neighbor or person that sits next to you in class or whatever it may be. They many times, it just, it just kind of naturally falls into place, the people that we would consider friends in our lives. But the question is, your friends, these friends in your life, do they make you better? Many of us admitted that some of the friends in our lives don't make us a better person. But you could be one friend away from changing the course of your life. In the message, I told you I'd been following a series uh, along in this that Pastor Greg Rochelle did. He told the story about when he, was, um, he started kind of slimming down and, and, and getting in shape a little bit, and people started asking him, hey, what's going on? Notice you're you know, getting in shape and whatever else. What's, what's your workout like? And he stops, and he tells a story about a friend. He goes, actually, it's, it's not about the workout. He talked about how he met this guy who became a good friend, and this guy uh, said this guy was just, he was just cut, said he was in impeccable shape. And he goes to this guy, and he says, how in the world did you, how did you get like that? What do you do? 
And, uh, and so the guy tells him, he said, uh, he said, well, you know, he said, I came to the realization as a follower of Jesus that everything I do is spiritual and everything I do is supposed to honor and please God. So, you know, in that, I want to take care of my car as unto the Lord. I want to take care of my house as unto the Lord. And he said, then I realized in Scripture that God calls my body the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he said it changed his thinking because instead of thinking about, oh, I need to do something. I need to, I need to do some kind of diet. I need, to, I need to exercise. Suddenly it became a spiritual thing to him. And he recognized that one of the most spiritual things he could do was to get his body in order. Does this make sense? And that's what this guy spoke into him. And so this guy began to speak into him, and they began to, began to do things together, and God began to show him um, how to eat well. And, you know, he said he thought he was already eating well, and he realized he really wasn't. This guy taught him how to, how to eat cleanly, and the guy showed him how to start, you know, doing some exercises and different things like that. And he said, you know, without a tremendous amount of effort— the pounds started dropping off, and he started feeling better and stronger than he'd ever been. And it was because of this relationship that he formed with this person that he had met. This friend in his life was making him a better person, spiritually and physically. Do you have somebody in your life that makes you better at what matters most? So, do you have a friend in your life that makes your marriage better? How many of you have had friends in your life that did not make your marriage better? Yeah, right. Do you have a friend that speaks in your life and helps you to be a better parent, a better worker, a better follower of Christ, whatever it may be? You are the average of your friends. So if all your friends at work are standing around bad-mouthing their spouse, and they're the ones you hang out with all the time, let me tell you what, your marriage isn't going to get better. It's not going to happen. If you're around a bunch of people whose primary hobby is eating Krispy Kreme donuts, you're not going to get in better shape. If you want to be closer to God, if you want to be a better person, if you want to be a better husband, a better wife, a better parent, if you want to be better in business, if you want to be better with finances, then you got to be around people who are going to make you better. You are the average of your closest friends. So again, examine who are the people that you're closest to in your life. You're the average of them. Sometimes we've got to change our friendships, don't we? On the flip side, God wants to use you to make people better as well. Proverbs 27, 17, we know as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. We all need a Samuel in our life, somebody that God can use to pull out the things that, man, we didn't even know were in there. A friend that pulls on the God-given potential in our lives and helps push us forward to be better than we were before, to be more than we thought we could be. So number one, if we need a friend that helps make us a better person. Number two, a friend that helps you find spiritual strength. A friend that helps you find spiritual strength. As followers of Jesus, we need people who are going to strengthen us in the Lord. How many of you ever had friends that truly drained you? you know, we all have those people in our lives, or we have, that can suck the life out of you if you let them. We need people who are going to strengthen us. So back to talking about David again. So... We know the things that happened. We know about David and Goliath. You know, as David, he's anointed king. He, he slays Goliath. Um, he's, he comes, remember when he, after he slays Goliath and, and he's gone out to war and he's coming back into town and, and they start singing? Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his tens of thousands, right? We know that in that moment, King Saul wasn't real happy, right? He... Um, we know that from that day onward, he actually started looking for opportunities to, to kill David. And then, so if you go to 1 Samuel chapter 23, verses 15 and 16, it says, While David was at Horesh in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. Now, that would be disheartening, knowing that your king was on the way to, to kill you. But look at verse 16. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. Isn't it crazy? The king is coming to take his life, but his son, the king's son, comes on ahead and helps strengthen David and encourage him. 
We all need, here's the thing, like Jonathan in our life, who's going to help strengthen us in the Lord. Because here's the thing, even among us, those who are closest to God, the ones of us who are the most mature and strongest spiritually, we all deal with temptation and discouragement. Isn't it right? We, we go through tough things, and sometimes it feels like people abandon us, and we need that friend that's going to stay, and is going to have our back, and is going to pray, and is going to point us in the right direction, and strengthen us in the Lord. You know, it may come as a huge surprise to you, but um, those in ministry, it's very easy to get discouraged in ministry. That's why I, I think last I saw the average uh, youth pastor is, uh, the, the average length of time they're youth pastor now is like six months. Um, most pastors, I think on average, the highest um, thing that pastors die of is, is heart-related issues. It's generally stress and heart, heart-related issues. Um, every pastor gets discouraged at times. And, you know, and, you know, all different reasons. Sometimes, you know, it's just other people, they're counseling and, and, and kind of carrying other people's baggage. And, uh, you know, people take jabs at them sometimes, and maybe the couple that they married last year files for divorce, and, and the pressure starts to get to them, and they feel worn down and tired, and most pastors at some point have these thoughts enter their mind. Is it all worth it? Am I making any kind of a difference? Is anybody hearing anything that I'm saying? And the funny thing is, you know, most, pretty much every pastor, you know, they, they know the answer in that moment, and they, they know where to turn, um, you know, but they've got to make sure that they're surrounded by godly friends who speak the truth and encourage them in the Lord, and, you know, and it's amazing how, you know, I've seen even in my life, and, and I know my dad can attest to it, how, you know, in a discouraging moment, it's amazing how, you know, all of a sudden, one of you will send a text of encouragement or a testimony of what God's doing in your life. And isn't it amazing how when somebody comes through like that in that kind of moment, how it makes you just kind of light up when you're discouraged and things just kind of seem dark right now, and then somebody comes along and speaks a word of encouragement into your life for just a moment. Isn't it amazing how things can turn around in just a moment? Be there for friends. We need to be there for each other. We need to be ready to be there for friends, to send them a scripture, encourage them, let them know that greater is he that's in them than he that's in the world. We need a friend that will pray for us, encourage us, build us up, a friend that will help us get our eyes back on track, and will be there for us no matter what. If you're discouraged in life and you don't have that kind of friend, then I would say again, you may be one friend away from changing the course of your life. We need friends that will help us to get better at what matters most in life. Friends that will help us to stay on track and find spiritual strength. We need friends that will help us to keep our eyes on Jesus. And number three, the last thing I want to mention, we need the friend that speaks the truth. The friend that speaks the truth. How many of you know that's a real friend? The person I want to talk about here for just a moment is the prophet Nathan. How many of you remember Nathan? So, you know, in David's life, you know, the Bible tells us that he was a man after God's own heart. And uh, as king, you know, God was, God was richly blessing him and the kingdom. But uh, we know that one day David got his eyes off the Lord for a few minutes, right? made, made uh, quite the error in judgment. And uh, one night, it actually says that he should have been off at war, but he decided to stay home for this one while his men were out. And we know that as he was on the roof, instead of his eyes being on the Lord, his eyes were on a woman bathing named Bathsheba. And we know that he committed adultery. He tried to cover it up. He had Bathsheba's husband murdered. And... He thought he had it all under wraps and didn't see the weight of what he had just done. And so what does God do? He sends a man named Nathan to tell him the truth. And so y'all remember the story as Nathan comes to him. Remember the story he tells him? He basically tells the story. He um, says, David, let me tell you something. He said, there was once this, there was once this rich man, and, and he was so wealthy, he had so many sheep that uh, they couldn't even be counted. And there was, this, uh, there was also a poor man at the same time 
who had one sheep that was like a family member. He says that he fed them from their food, and, and, and he was a traveler, and you know, he raised them along with his children and everything else, and talked about one day a traveler comes along to the rich man, and the rich man, instead of taking one of his own innumerable sheep in, in his herd, instead of taking one of those, he takes the poor man's and uh, slaughters it and feeds the traveler. What do you think, David? And we know the Bible says that David gets angry, right? And he, said, he basically says that man deserves to be killed. What was Nathan's response? 2 Samuel 12, 7. Nathan said to David, you are that man. How many of you have ever had somebody that was willing to shoot at that straight with you? We need that kind of friend in our lives. Suddenly David sees the truth. And we know that he was broken before the Lord because it's actually um, in Psalm 51 is the place where we see his, his, uh, his repentant heart. It's actually where some of you may remember the old song, Create in me a clean heart, O Lord, and renew a right spirit within me. That was David on his face crying out before God because a friend loved him enough to come and to speak the truth into his life. Have you ever allowed a friend into your life that could speak to you like that? You know, we need a person that can look us dead in the eyes and say, you've got to stop. You've got an issue. You're getting off track. This isn't going to work. You're damaging your marriage. You're missing it here. Your heart's not right. We need that person in our life. Or what about the person who speaks the truth into us and says, don't give up. You're getting discouraged. Don't give up. Keep going. You're almost there. You've got what it takes. Sometimes that's just as difficult to speak into somebody's life as it is correction. We need somebody that will speak into us and tell us the truth. I've got a friend that um, uh, I guess uh, my dad would remember uh, from, from Illinois. Uh, Sean and I had just gotten married and we moved up, to, uh, moved up to Rantoul, Illinois, our first youth pastorate, and we're serving this church, and we, would, we were 20 years old, and uh, we had been there for just a few weeks, and we were kind of getting settled in as the new youth pastors, and about a month in, we went and we served as counselors at the church's kids' camp that they did. And uh, so we're just, we're just, you know, counselors there for the elementary kids, and, um, and I got to meet um, a guy who became one of my best friends ever, and his name was Matt Foster. And actually, uh, thank you all of you who wished me happy birthday this week. Uh, very quickly that um, Matt's birthday was a day before mine. We were, he was born one day before I was. And we became, close, we became close friends. And over the next several months, as we got the youth ministry going, he became one of our youth leaders. And, um, and anyway, you know, as coming in and, and taking a new youth group, you know, there had been a youth pastor that had been there for years before us. And um, he was still part of the church, and, you know, the older youth were still kind of attached to him, and so we're being real careful, not making big changes and stuff. And he had been taking them to a conference for several years before that. Every year they would go to this conference in Chicago called the Ascension Convention and, uh, for young people. And they still have that. It's still, it's still going on today. It's put on by Christian Life College um, there in Chicago. But anyway, um, the pastor mentioned to us, you know, it's probably a good idea if, um, if this year, if you take the youth to the Ascension Convention, you know, just to kind of keep things going, not make too many changes all at once. And, and I remember not loving the idea. I didn't, I didn't know these people. I didn't know this place. I didn't know anything about this conference. And, you know, I, I didn't have any ties to it. And I would have rather done something else. But, you know, we, we did what he said. And it was like, all right, we got the youth leaders together. And, and so we did this trip. And we took all the teenagers uh, to, uh, to Ascension Convention in, uh, in Chicago. And it was a good, it was a good weekend. Everything, everything, you know, went, went well. But, you know, I just, I just didn't have the greatest attitude, you know, through all that. I had my, had my own plan. Um, so anyway, uh, a few days later, we get back and we had a youth leaders meeting and, um, asked the youth leaders, we wanted to do a quick review. what did y'all everybody, everybody think? What did we do? Well, you know, what do we need to do differently next time? And all this kind of thing. And nobody really had anything to contribute. Everybody's kind of sitting there quiet. And I remember, I mean, like it was yesterday, my close buddy, my close friend, Matt 
who, he's one of these guys, he's kind of, he's a little bit more quiet. He's not one of these real outgoing kind of folks. When he speaks, you know, he's got something to say. And, uh, and he said, I want to say something. Yeah. And he said, you know, it seemed like you didn't even want to be there as the youth pastor. He said, it was like it was all half-hearted, like you were just, you know, putting on a good face and, and, uh, and whatever. And, and it was obvious. <laughs> I was like, gum." Here's my, here's my buddy, right? And I think it was the first time I ever had a friend that said something like that to me. And I wouldn't at all, actually, I wasn't upset at all about it. I looked at him and I said, you're totally right. And I don't remember if I repented or not. I hope I did. <laughs> but I, I knew he was right. And I told the youth leaders that. I said, you're right. My attitude, my attitude wasn't right. And, and I'm, you know... Unfortunately, it probably impacted the trip some. We need somebody who is going to speak the truth into our life, whether we like it. Just tell us what we want to hear. Somebody's going to speak the truth to us at all times. Not friends that would just tell us what we want to hear, because that's who we gravitate toward, right? Those who will agree with us, right? We need friends that will tell us the truth, whether we like it or not. Because here, it isn't this the way it goes. We like to have people on our side. So... Something's going on, and I, I've, had, I've had ladies come to me before talking about, you know, their marriage and different things, issues like that, and you know, well, I was saying this and this, and, and I was talking to ladies at work about it, and they all agree with me. He should be, and I'm like, hold up, hold up. What are all the ladies at work talking about your husband for, right? Because we want people that will agree with us and be on our side, when it comes to anything confrontational or anything needs to be changed, we try to get people behind us. We can say, yeah, this is right, and they think so too, right? And so that's the kind of friends that we try to go get, ones that will have our back and be with us. Uh-huh, yep, we all think so. Well, we need friends that will speak to us the truth, speak the truth to us regardless of whether we like it or not, regardless of whether we even initially agree or not. How many of you know that sometimes when we're off track, we can hardly see our hand in front of our face? Sometimes we've got to stop and we've got to process things. I remember one of the things, I remember as a teenager going through discipleship class at, at, um, at Christ the Rock with Rick and Susan Bennett. I remember Susan one time saying something that stuck with me and says, when somebody comes in and criticizes you, instead of getting angry and upset, the first thing you need to do is stop and look inside and say, is there truth to what they're saying? Because usually there is. Usually there's some truth. Sometimes we have to process what people tell us. But instead, what we tend to do is get all upset, right? Well, who are you? You don't have any rights in my life. Do you have that kind of friend or not? If not, you may be one friend away from changing the course of your life. Here's the thing. Some of us will never be who God has called us to be because we're dealing with that relational poverty in our lives. God has sent people along to speak into your life and to be there for you. But you're not even open to it. You're not open to relationships and friendships. You keep to yourself in the name of busyness or whatever it may be. And so you're not finding the breakthrough that you're looking for. Even if you decide, like the average American, that it's okay to just have one or two close friends, you may still never become who God wants you to be because it's not what he intended. God wants you to have a whole community of friends around you, a community that pours into one another, that serves one another, encourages one another, blesses one another, gives to one another. That's what the church is supposed to look like. But most of the church today is going it alone. I'm talking about us individually as the church. You may be one friend away from changing the course of your life. Show me your friends. I'll show you your future. Here's the thing. As I close, some of you, because of your circle of friends, your future may be divorce. Some of you, because of your circle of friends, your future may be the same old, lukewarm, half-hearted commitment to God. Some of you, because of your friends, 
maybe some of the same old self-centered life that's all about you. Sometimes we can't even see the dysfunction in our life because all we have is dysfunction. You ever been there? You don't even know what it looks like without that dysfunction there in our lives. You may be one friend away from changing the course of your life. You realize that you could be one friend away from having the marriage that you always wanted to have. You could be one friend away from being the parent that you need to be for your children and impacting the future generations. You could be one friend away from being more generous than you've ever been. You could be one friend away from overcoming the addictions that you've struggled with your whole life. You could be one friend away from learning how to take care of your temple with the Holy Spirit and add 10 or 15 years to your life being a blessing to your great-grandchildren. You could be one friend away from tapping into God's power and impacting your environment and community. You could be one friend away from waking up with divine purpose, living for a higher calling. There's some people that are one friend away from meeting Jesus. Meeting the one friend that truly seeks closer than a brother. Show me your friends. I'll show you your future. And what do you need? Isn't it true? You've got to be that kind of friend. We've got to help others be better. We've got to help others find strength in the Lord. We've got to love others enough to speak the truth. Like the Bible says, iron sharpening iron. Conform to the image of Christ, not the world. As we do that, our life's going to count for something. Because if you walk with the wise, you become wise, right? But if you're a companion of fools, it'll destroy you. Let's all stand together as the worship team comes up. And as we close, let's just stand up together and just invite everybody. Just, let's just close our eyes for just a moment. Cross this place. Just close your eyes for just a minute and just begin to examine your life. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. You know, firstly, I hope there's those of you here that recognize something lacking in your life. Recognize, recognize that you recognize the, the relationships and the friendships. Even as we talked about those three types of friends that we should have in our life, you recognize that there's some missing. And hopefully you're at the place that you would say, you know what, if, if God has that person out there for me right now, I want to have, have the eyes to see it and the heart to pursue it and chase after it. And if that's you, you recognize you need some of these friendships in your life, with every eye closed, I just want you to lift your hands. Let's, all, let's just lift our hands together. Say, yes, Lord, I need relationships. I need friendships. I need people that will speak into me. Just begin to tell them. Just begin to pray. Just begin to tell the Lord and ask. That's, as our elder, as Zach was talking about this morning, asking the Lord for those things that we're lacking. God, I need a friend that will strengthen me in you. Lord, I need that friend that's going to speak to me, not afraid of how I'm going to react, but going to speak to me and tell me the truth regardless of what the situation may be. God, send me the friends that will make me a better spouse, that will make me a better parent, that will make me a better, better employee at work, that will make me a better student, that will make me a better follower of Jesus. Just ask him, Lord, give me the friends that you've got out there that'll speak into my life. And in token, along with that, just begin to ask him, say, Lord, make me that kind of friend. I want to be that kind of friend to others. That friend that is open and that is present. That friend is going to be there through thick and thin. That friend is going to speak the truth of your word, Lord. 
I want to be that kind of friend, Lord. Heavenly Father, I just ask you, give us eyes to see the potential relationships around us that you've put in place. Give us, Lord, give us the honor of impacting others for you. Give us the desire, Lord, for deeper relationships, deeper community than we've ever known. Lord, I thank you that we're family. We are the body of Christ, and we stand together as one. Lord, we want to be effective for your use. Use us, Lord. Secondly, with every head bowed, you may be one friend away from changing the course of your life. You may be one friend away from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Let me be your friend right now and let me say, if your life isn't surrendered to Jesus, I'm telling you the truth. Don't wait another moment. You need to do it now. Eternity hangs in the balance. And eternity, as we heard earlier, doesn't start one day when you take your last breath. Eternity starts now. It starts the moment that you say yes to Jesus. And you say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you to the end. And I'm going to let you be that friend that sticks closer than a brother. I'm going to let you speak into me. I'm going to let you give me direction. I'm going to do things your way. If you're here and you recognize that you need to surrender your life to Jesus, I want you to just lift your hand real quick. If you're here, you know it. Yeah. This would say, I need to surrender my life to Jesus today. Who else would say that? All right. We're going to pray together in just a second. The Bible says when you do that, when you surrender your life to him, that you become a friend of God. You talk about the right kind of friend. He's the one. If the whole world abandons you, he will not leave you or forsake you. Not for one moment. He'll always be there. No matter what happens. The Bible says we just we repent of our sin. We admit to him that we've tried to live this life without him. And that it was another failure. We repent of the way that we've lived our lives. We declare him to be the new Lord and master of our life and that we'll follow him to the end. The Bible says when you do that, you become a new creation. All things become new. You become a member of the family of Christ. Let's pray together. Everybody say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. Lord, you love me so much that even when I rejected you 2,000 years ago, before I was ever even born, you sent your son to die in my place, to take my punishment, to take the judgment that I deserved. And today, Jesus, I call you Lord of my life. I believe that you are who you say you are. And I will follow you to the end. Holy Spirit, fill me and empower me to be everything that you've called me to be. I thank you, Jesus. My life is yours. In Jesus' name.